Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life. Create your life. Create la tua vita. Create your life. Don't skip your life. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create la vie. Create your life. Create your life. Create Your Life family, thanks for tuning in to this episode. Before we get started, I wanted to share some exciting information from our sponsor. We only pick people and companies that we think are awesome to bring onto the show, so please support them. As a podcaster, I've spent hours and hours editing, doing show graphics, and much more, and I finally got fed up with losing all of my free time to post-production activities. So I decided to do something about it. And if you are a fellow busy podcaster who would like to just record and have someone else do the dirty work of graphic creation, tagging and uploading your show to your server and in-depth SEO generating show notes, go to podcastlaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and we have another dynamic guest here in the studio today. She is the co-founder and COO of Swivel Beauty, which is an online platform helping women of color discover and book the best hair salons and stylists while helping talented stylists market directly to their target customers. She is a Harvard-trained lawyer, watch out now, who prior to launching Swivel Beauty practiced general corporate mergers and acquisition, and cybersecurity law at some of the country's top firms. In her free time, she likes to cook, travel, do crossword puzzles, and spend time with family and friends. She's originally from Washington, D.C., and currently resides in the New York City area. Create Your Life family, I'm talking about none other than Ms. Jennifer Lambert. Jennifer, please say hello to the Create Your Life family. Hello, Create Your Life family. Jen, I'm super excited to have you in here. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. And I feel like you are addressing something that is a major, 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 major market. And so I'm just, oh, you got to tell us about it. So you're originally from the D.C. area. Indeed. Talk to us about your experience growing up there. And how did you even make it to New York? Yeah. So um, as you said, originally from D.C., um, Actually, technically, I was born in Tallahassee, Florida, and moved up to Washington, D.C. as a toddler, but for all intents and purposes, from D.C. (laughs) But (laughs) So I was really fortunate to go to an all-girls school Mm -hmm. um, from, let's see, fourth grade through 12th grade, which I think really set me up to believe that I could do anything in life. There was kind of none of that concept that girls can't do certain things. The expectation was very much that everyone was could do anything, doctor, mm-hmm. lawyer, businesswoman, whatever it may be. So um, I think that really did set me up to just approach life as a human first rather than a woman first, mm, which, yeah, which I think was important. So ended up going up to Boston for college, mm-hmm. um, went to Boston College for undergrad. When I graduated, wasn't quite sure what I was supposed to do with my life. So like everyone, who's not sure what they did with their life. (laughs) I stumbled into law school. I was very fortunate to get into Harvard Law School. I studied pretty hard in college, I suppose. (laughs) And did well on the LSAT. Yeah. (laughs) If I could do it all over again, I would still go to Harvard Law School. That's a good thing. Yeah. But I will say, if I had taken more time between college and law school, I probably wouldn't have ended up in law school. When I started, I knew I didn't really want to be a lawyer, but knew that having Harvard Law School on my resume would present 
some opportunities that I might not otherwise have. It's mm. kind of nice having that default assumption be that I'm really smart <laughs> if someone looks at my resume. Mm -hmm. But it did teach me the importance of hard work. Both law school and kind of my five-year legal career afterwards kind of set me up to be a hard worker, really critically think through problems, be able to express myself mm -hmm. clearly and succinctly. So after graduating from law school, I headed back down to New York and practiced for five years. Chose New York because... I mean, it's New York. <laughs> right, right, it's just right. the best. From the very first time I visited New York, I was just completely taken by it. All of the culture here, there's no way to avoid people from all different walks of life, whether it's socioeconomic status, mm -hmm. race, religion, everything. You're seeing mm -hmm. it in your face here. And there's like Broadway and you can order food at any time of night and it'll come to your door. It's just the best place ever. <laughs> so on top of that, everyone I knew from D.C. and everyone I knew from Boston ended up in New York. So it just kind of instantly felt like home. So that's how I ended up here. Practiced law for five years. I don't know if, if anyone's familiar with big law, but it's kind of got a reputation for being hell on earth, which it earned for actually being hell on earth. What does big law mean? <laughs> big law means the huge corporate law firms, oh, gotcha. you know, crazy hours. You're It's kind of just a law machine. You're there to bill as many hours as possible. The expectation is that you're there until midnight, 2 a.m. So it's not, <laughs> there's no sympathy for wanting to maybe go see your mom on her birthday or <laughs> mm. do normal things that people do when work ends at six or seven o'clock for most people. So it sounds like, number one, I want to commend you because law school is no easy feat. And you said you went into it knowing that you did not want to be a lawyer. So right. Which, is... again, I have to emphasize, I wouldn't advise for most people. <laughs> right, right. It's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's taxing like it, it takes a lot to go to law school I yes. mean, to be a lawyer so i appreciate and respect your your craft but it sounds like you also you know while you were billing all of these hours you had a pretty comfortable perhaps lifestyle and, and a salary etc cetera, etc cetera. what made you decide to jump out of the corporate arena and found swivel beauty and why now yeah. So as I mentioned, the hours were completely insane um, working corporate law. And I don't have a problem with hard work. And I think most people who complain about the hours in corporate law would agree that they're happy to work hard. But what stuck out the most for me is that I would be there five nights in a row till two or three o'clock in the morning and just mm -hmm. be sitting there like, what if I was doing something for myself? What if I really was doing something that mattered to me or at the very least, I thought was making me, was setting me up and preparing me for the mm -hmm. thing that I actually should be doing. Because this ain't it. <laughs> this sitting here making sure that super rich guys can meaninglessly buy and sell companies to make themselves richer <laughs> at, at mm -hmm. the benefit of no one but themselves is not what I want to be spending my 2 a.m.s doing. So I really was always aware that my time should be better spent. Better spent doing something that helps me and uh, helps people or causes that I care about or in some way like makes the world better, <laughs> okay. which I was not spending my life doing. Mm -hmm. So somewhere along the way, my business partner and I, my business partner also grew up with me. Uh, we met in fourth grade and nice. uh, <laughs> we have been very close friends almost our entire lives. So we met when we were 10 years old. We say it's our 23rd anniversary <laughs> of our friendship. Nice. So she was working at in the magazine world. So she was at Hearst. She was a senior editor at Oprah Magazine. Nice. Um, I'm like her hype man. I always make sure that she mentions that she's been to Oprah's house. <laughs> she spent a weekend oh, there wow. with the other top editors, which is pretty cool. So she was coming from that world, and we were both kind of in our respective lanes, me as like a busy professional who never had time to find anywhere to get my hair done mm -hmm. <laughs> in those like rare moments where I actually could get out of the office and mm -hmm. her as someone who was writing about entrepreneurs and really was being pitched all the time by new companies to try to get editors to try and write about their products. Mm -hmm. So we were seeing a lot of development in the beauty tech space. So a lot of companies were cropping up that were quote, making it easier for any woman to find an easier way to get her beauty services done, whether that's hair or makeup. And certainly for hair, there were a lot of apps that someone could come to your house and blow dry your hair, or you could choose some random salon and just go there and get your hair done. Or like brick and mortar blow dry bars where anyone could just go in and get their hair blow dried. But all of these 
neglected, like a very, very basic question for any woman of color with curlier, coily, or kinkier hair, which mm-hmm. is, can this place do my hair? Very simple question. Like, no woman that I know who has my type of hair <laughs> would mm-hmm. ever just randomly walk into a salon. And in fact, I tried it once. I was like, oh, whatever. Like, I know my whole life I've only been going to the same, like, three places because they're the only places I could trust. But I was desperate one day in law school and walked across the street to the <laughs> salon that I walked by every day. In Boston. In Boston. Yeah. Yeah. And I even called first and I was like, hey, I'm a black girl. I have like super thick curly black girl hair. Just wanted to make sure all I want is like a trim and a blowout. Like, can you handle me? So the woman's like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, I can do any type of hair. So I was desperate. I had an event that night and I walked in and it was like... It was a nightmare from the start. Truly, I should have walked out, but I I was just being hopeful. And I walked out with this, like, insane, poofy bob that just looked in a complete mess. And when I finally did go back to D.C. and see my regular stylist, she was like, what happened? <laughs> like, I don't get it. <laughs> um, so that was a digression. But because of experiences like that, women of color are very selective about the places that they go to make sure that the people there are skilled in doing our type of hair, which just requires more skill and talent and experience than than everyone else's hair. <laughs> right. So we just saw this huge white space and this huge opportunity in the existing products that were out there and decided not only that we wanted it for ourselves, but it was huge business. Women of color spend nine times more than any other ethnic group on wow. beauty services. The average black woman spends $4,000 in the salon every year. Black women go to the salon for 30 percent of black women go to the salon like twice a month. So there were a lot of business smart reasons to go into this area. Um, How long did you all spend doing research before you decided to jump in? Too long. (laughs) So we spent, I'd say from the time that we came up to the idea to the time that we actually released something in the app store was like two years, which is way longer than it needed to be because we were so excited about the business that we would just meet up on nights and weekends and like have whiteboarding sessions and, (laughs) you know, chat about stuff and like ask questions, do a bunch of research, Mm -hmm. which is good and important. But at some point, we realized we had done all of this like thinking and not actually executed on anything. What did you, what do you feel was the reason why you all didn't go ahead and execute and launch? I think we were just in our own way, honestly. I think part of Mm -hmm. it was this is the first time that we have started a business. So part of it was just inexperience and not really understanding how to get from idea to like beginning to build something. Mm -hmm. And part of it was probably a little bit of fear, a little bit of not being ready to let go of our corporate paychecks. What made you get out of your own way? How did you go about doing that? And also, did you all, when you launched the app, did you quit immediately or...? Let's see, how do we get out of our own way? So one thing we realized, thankfully, early on was that talking to people, people are very willing to help you if you put yourself out there Mm -hmm. and ask them questions. Mm -hmm. We're lucky that we had a bunch of people in our circle who were experts in different areas that we were not experts in. So, you know, in the very beginning, we were so scared to say our idea to anyone because we were scared that someone would steal it, which Mm -hmm. is nonsense. You still got to do the work. I always say that. Exactly. You know, like there are very few people who are nuts enough to actually launch a business, like throw away their paycheck and start a business. Mm -hmm. So definitely be open to sharing your idea, I would say, is is a huge thing that we learned. Because once we did, the universe just opened up with all of this information and opportunity that we hadn't yet found. So we just started asking people. We started joining groups of female founders. There are so many events and things out there when you look for them. Mm -hmm. So there's like a huge female founder community in New York, a huge founders of color community in New York. So really just putting ourselves out there, starting to go to those things and meet people and ask them like, hey, I noticed that you and your co-founder aren't technical either. You know, we don't know how to build apps. How did you get someone to build your app? (laughs) Reading books. One of the books that was hugely helpful to us in the beginning was Lean Startup, which everyone (laughs) everyone kind of reads. We were like, oh, so we don't have to have like a full, huge business in order to do something. Mm -hmm. Like there are ways that we can test this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There are ways that we can test this without launching a a full product. Mm -hmm. So reading and talking to people was huge for us. Love it. And so you, you got out your own way. Now, how has Swivel changed since you all have started? 
We've grown. So that's been exciting. So when we first started, we were we launched with a pilot group of about 15 salons here in New York. Okay. And since then, we have grown to over 300 where our primary markets are New York and D.C., but there are we're live in 11 different markets across the country. Okay. We still are very much tied to our foundational idea, which is we want to take the struggle out of finding a hair salon mm -hmm. <laughs> for black women. It just really shouldn't be that difficult. It's mm -hmm. not difficult for anyone else. And there's no reason that we shouldn't have the same access to that simplicity as any other woman. Mm -hmm. So we still, everything that we do has that in mind. So we've just continually tried to improve on ways to make it easier for women to have that good experience. So you have a bolstering 300 partners, yes. uh, salon and stylist. Yes. You also have over 20,000 downloads yes. on the App Store. Yes. What are the keys to your growth? Like, what are some of the success hacks and secrets to that type of growth? Because I'm sure every startup and entrepreneur wants to experience that type of growth. From 15 so, to 300 is insane. Persistence. Just every single day trying to do something. So on the stylist side, as much as we've tried to find a hack that makes it easier to acquire more and more, mm -hmm. it's really just every day picking up the phone and calling <laughs> and and forming those relationships and building it one by one. So it's just the persistence of continually doing that because with each one it feels tedious, but then you look back over a week or a month and it's been 50 or 75, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is huge. And just continuing to try to get our name out there one way or another. So one thing that was hugely helpful for us was that we were able to secure a lot of press as we launched. Part of that is because my co-founder grew up in the magazine industry, right. so <laughs> that was very helpful. Mm -hmm. But also because we were doing something that people weren't doing, we wouldn't, we couldn't have gotten the press if there wasn't a story there. And I think it speaks to how much what we were doing really resonated with an audience that had been underserved mm -hmm. for a long time. So being in the New York Times and Teen Vogue and Elle and Cosmo and Glamour and having that kind of nationwide reach to mm -hmm. what we were doing and having people be excited about it and share with their friends and their aunts and moms and things was extremely helpful as well. Okay. Why and how does your team go about vetting and deciding on what partnerships work well for you guys? So right. which salons and stylists should you be working with? How do you guys figure that out? Right. So the why is that, to my earlier story... Not everybody can do our hair correctly. Right, right. Even some people who say that they can, cannot. And it's important. It's such a huge part of our appearance and our history and culture and all of that to have our hair together. And mistakes take a long time to fix. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so just establishing that trust and finding people who are on the same page with our mission and all of that stuff so that customers who use our app are having good experiences is crucial. So there's the why. How? It's a multifaceted process. So in the very beginning, it was all personal recommendations. So we would send out forms to our networks and mm -hmm. their networks and have people send us who they went to, why they trusted them, what they trusted them for. Mm -hmm. um, and we reached out only to those people, interviewed all of them, went into all the shops, got our hair done at like 75% of them to, to nice. really vet them. Obviously, that's not a scalable way to build a business. as, But it's a way to establish credibility early exactly, on. Exactly, which was hugely important. And especially in kind of when we pitched to other stylists showing like, look, we have some very legit, talented stylists mm -hmm. on, on this platform. Um, you will not be among like some random person who's not actually licensed mm -hmm. <laughs> that's like dragging your value down. Um, we really work hard to maintain the quality of this platform. Gotcha. So now it's a combination of doing like extremely thorough research on the internet, the type of research we would do if we were going to a salon ourselves so that you mm -hmm. don't have to do it. So spending those hours calling through every review we can find on Yelp and Facebook, mm -hmm. really going through their Instagram profiles, and we still interview every single stuff that's on the platform to get a sense of kind of their values, what they actually know about doing black hair, <laughs> mm -hmm. whether they are prioritizing hair care rather than just throwing you a style that's going to look good in the day and then tomorrow your hair falls out. So we really work hard to keep that at a high level. Okay. And how big is your team and how did you go about assembling your team? So for a long time, it was just Jahan and me. 
And from time to time, we have interns that come and go. They're fantastic. And we have started to really build more of a core team. In the last month, we just actually hired our first full-time employee. Congratulations. Thank you very much. (laughs) So our initial app was built with an agency that did a great job. But as anyone will tell you, it's extremely difficult to run a tech company when you don't have your tech people (laughs) in-house. So finally, we were able to hire an in-house developer, Mm -hmm. which we're super excited about. So we found him actually because he's my cousin. (laughs) What's up, cuz? What's up, cuz? And aside from being my cousin, he's extremely talented. Mm -hmm. He started his career at Microsoft and is just super passionate about what we're building, super passionate about girls with curly hair. (laughs) So he gets what we're doing. He's excited about it. And so he's been a great addition to the team. We also have some advisors that have been extremely helpful. And interestingly, we found some of them just by cold messaging them on LinkedIn. Nice. Just like, hey, we're working on this. We saw that you did this. We would love it if you would be an advisor in our company. And it's amazing. Again, when you put yourself out there, the type of response that you can get. And we also have an amazing associate that helps us with some of our content. She actually came to us. So another thing that happens once you're out there is people start seeing what you're building and wanting to be on your team. So she's also fantastic. Sweet. You are a lawyer by trade. How is that helping you in business today? I think probably the most important thing that I learned from being a lawyer was you just have to like really think through and then the decisions that you make be able to explain why. Because there are a million different ways to do stuff. But if you can be methodical about why you're doing something and what logic brought you to that decision, I just think it helps a, defend it, and B, really learn from it <laughs> once <laughs> once it's done, whether it went well or not. <laughs> okay. Now, you've been doing Swivel for how long? Two years full-time. Two years full-time. And how many years before then? Another two? I want to say another two. <laughs> okay, cool. So you four years at it with, with Swivel, right? Yes. When first starting out, how did you stay motivated to continue to do this? So in the very beginning, it's just exciting, Um, Mm -hmm. especially the contrast between like the soullessness of corporate law and Mm -hmm. like the just excitement and opportunity of starting a new venture that is in an area that you're passionate about. That alone was fuel to really keep the fire going for a while. And then that corporate law job starts to really take away your energy (laughs) and interfere with that kind of clear vision. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that was super helpful in the beginning was having a partner and just kind of holding each other accountable, continuing to push forward when one was too busy at work, having the other one there to to pick up the ball and and really just kind of keep the mission driving forward. Mm-hmm. So that's how we stayed motivated in the beginning. Today, one of the most motivating things is hearing from our customers, both on the stylist side and the kind of consumer side. Mm-hmm. So it's so rewarding that whenever we're doing well, it's because everyone else is kind of winning too. You know, women are finding hairstylists that they never would have found otherwise. Absolutely. And finally finding people who are doing their hair the way they like, aren't keeping them waiting in the salon for three hours, all of that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And for our stylist partners, we have some that have just done phenomenally well from being on the platform. So one of our stylists was starting out, she started her business just before we did. She went out on her own, started her own salon. And $20,000 of her business came through us in her first year. Wow. Which, I mean, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. <laughs> so that is just hugely rewarding to be able to lift someone up that much. So how did you handle or deal with negative feedback as you were rising? What did you think when you first saw it? Was it public, private? And how did you deal with it? Were you prepared? So I think there are different types of negative feedback. There's constructive negative feedback, and mm-hmm. then there's like mean, cowardly, faceless Mm -hmm. (laughs) negative feedback. So I think we've done a good job of taking what's useful and kind of just ignoring the (laughs) the useless. So in the rare instances where customers haven't had good experiences, we really work hard to make changes to our product that make sure that the next person isn't going to have that same issue. 
So, you know, we really take it to heart. We really try to iterate because of it and keep pushing through, like take what makes us better and leave behind what doesn't. <laughs> I love that. Create Silence the haters. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Create your life family. You heard it from Jen. She said, take what makes you better and leave everything else alone. Don't even pay attention to it. Yeah. So Jen, for you, I'm sure that the Jen from two years ago, four years ago is different than the young lady sitting in front of me right now. What have been the keys to your personal growth other than consistency? So other than consistency, I'd say, especially as a first-time entrepreneur, especially as someone who didn't have a background in beauty or tech before starting this, I think just doing it builds so much confidence in being able to figure out like how to build something from nothing mm -hmm. <laughs> and all of the little challenges that entails every day, all of the things that we've never seen or dealt with before, and somehow overcoming them, like figuring out everything from how to start payroll when you're hiring employees or how to get an app built or how to do a Facebook marketing campaign, how to start measuring your app's performance with analytics, things like that. Just figuring out stuff like that and just continuing to grow and, and get to the next level has built so much confidence, I think, in both of us and our ability to do things we didn't think that we'd be able to do. <laughs> and what do you feel like separates Swivel Beauty from your competitors? What is your competitive advantage? I'd say just really that thoughtful attention to what our consumer wants mm -hmm. and genuinely speaking to our consumer in a way that is meaningful and kind of not pandering, not just like, Oh, hey, black girls, sisters, you know, like <laughs> whatever, whatever someone uh, who is not a black person might think that black people say in a boardroom. <laughs> you know, I think having kind of that authentic voice and speaking from a place of genuine like love and passion for our right. consumer really makes a huge difference. And then as far as like the product itself, A, only having stylists that cater to what our person's looking for, mm -hmm. having a very simple search interface that lets people search for whatever they're looking for for their specific hair needs, whether mm -hmm. it's finding someone to give them a natural style, finding someone to give them a relaxer, finding mm -hmm. someone to give them braids, and vetting to make sure that we have people on there who are going to give them a good experience. Love it. What are some things that you wish you knew before becoming an entrepreneur? Oh, let's see. I feel like you got a laundry list the way you used to sit there. No. Oh, let's see. <laughs> I mean, there's so much. I'd say the big ones are, you know, I absolutely expected to work as hard in this as I did in my lawyer job. Mm -hmm. I think I'm surprised at, like, how many, how can I phrase this in a better way than I was about to phrase it? Just phrase <laughs> it. Just phrase it. Don't curse, though. I won't curse. Okay. Phrase it, then. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I feel like when you're working for someone else, you often find yourself doing things that you don't want to be doing. And then even as an entrepreneur, like there's still a lot of that, but it's oh, yeah. less painful because you know there's a bigger purpose. So yeah. whether it's pushing through and going to that like networking event, mm -hmm. even when you really don't feel like it, you just want to like go home and watch Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> I find myself forcing myself to do that a lot, which... It just is what it is. <laughs> There's just a lot more of that than I thought that there would be, perhaps. And then everything takes way longer and costs way more than you think it does. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is definitely the truth. Yeah. Wow. Create Your Life family. I hope that you are really enjoying this episode. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsors and let you know that our sponsors are giving special offers just for you. If you are a fellow busy podcaster who just wants to record and spend the rest of your time doing what you love, like working out at the gym with family and friends or traveling, use code CYLS for a discount on services when you go to podcastlaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. And without further ado, let's get back to the show. Who are some of your heroes and sheroes that you look up to? Mm, that's a good question. Let's see. Oprah, obviously phenomenal. <laughs> the right. way she's built herself from literally nothing, like being fired in her 20s to being Oprah Winfrey is pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. Sarah Blakely in the Spanx empire, again, starting, she was mid-career when she decided to come up with this and go for it. And that's pretty incredible. Shonda Rhimes, <laughs> mm -hmm. also like an empire builder, believing in her creative vision and just coming up with something completely phenomenal. 
Rent the Runway founders, <laughs> mm-hmm. starting out a business that I think has been extremely impactful and helpful to people's lives, like change the way they shop on a mm-hmm. daily basis. Beyonce, I mean, just for representing that like strength and power and being sexy in an empowered way, all of that good stuff, being unapologetically like blackity, black, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no matter what any, no matter who might be mad about it. Mm-hmm. Michelle Obama. Mm-hmm. I could go on and on. But right, right. I love it. <laughs> I know you've got time limits. <laughs> nah, no worries. I mean, we're happy to hear from you and to know, you know, who are the people that come to top of mind. I think it's so important to have others that you look up to and who you can reflect on and say, you know, just like Sarah Blakely, you were able to your mid-career. Yeah. Right. And you say, hey, you know what? I want to make this transition. And you have someone to look to and say, you know, this is how she worked it out and planned it out. And I'm sure that somebody from the Create Your Life series is going to be like, hey, you know what? I want to be like Jen Lambert. You know, I want to start my company. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I don't want to work all of these hours, you know, so those things matter. But I guess my other question, piggybacking on that, talking about heroes and sheroes, what advice would you give to others looking to become a founder like you? Let's see. I would say, A, do it. If you mm-hmm. have an idea, just start. Just do the first thing. Just do the research. Just write the business plan. Just do the first test of whether it might work and then keep going (laughs) and get out of your way. Stop making excuses like you might have a busy job or family obligations or whatever, but you can always find a little bit of time just to get started. Love it. Was there ever any point that you were going to give up? When, why, and how did you push past that point? I haven't quite reached the point of being about to give up. (laughs) Okay, that's a good thing. I haven't gotten quite that far yet. But there are ups and downs for sure. There are times that we're on top of the world, we get a big press spot, or we have like Mm -hmm. a huge spike in our bookings and things like that. And then there are times that it seems like nothing's happened for a couple of weeks. And, you know, we can't understand why something that we tried didn't lead to more customers or things like that. So, you know, there definitely are times that feel challenging and times that we wonder whether this is really going to become as big as we want it to. How do you stay rejuvenated and motivated in those times when you're having a peaks and valleys? Again, I think um, having the co-founder really helps. I think having someone else who shares your vision when you may forget about it, you know, is really helpful and important. It just kind of strengthens your commitment to what you're doing Mm because it's not just you and a business. It's you and someone else who's sacrificed just as much and the business. So I think that's been huge. And I think just that underlying belief that what we're doing matters and is important and needs to be in the world. Okay. So Jen, real quick, how did you decide on what your financial model was going to be for your company in order to be profitable? Yeah. So one of the things they tell you when you're starting a business, and a lot of people forget this now in like the Facebook and Instagram age where you don't pay for anything, is that uh, the point of a business is actually to make money. (laughs) And if you're starting a business that has no sort of way of generating revenue, then like, what's the point of it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what we do is we charge a percentage of bookings. So when someone discovers a salon and books an appointment on the platform, the salon pays us a relatively small commission for that. And we settled on the commission. Obviously, we thought about the balance of us making enough money to enable us to continue building the business Mm -hmm. um, and marketing ourselves and all of that good stuff. And going back to one of our core values, which is creating value for salons and not wanting to gouge them and charge them something unfair so that they can continue to build their businesses as well. Mm-hmm. So we looked at what some competitors were doing in the space, kind of what their price point was. Some of them were outlandish. <laughs> um, and as we talked to salons and stylists, you know, you get a sense of what they think is completely unfair. So some of the discount companies out there that do coupons and things that came before us actually like really harmed our ability to create trust with salons because they completely cannibalized the industry. So for salons, nails, spa services, things like that, they said, hey, be on our platform, drop your price 50%, and then we're going to take 50% of that. So they're doing a service and getting like a small fraction of it. And the customers who are booking deals like that 
aren't coming back again. They're just the type of customer that's like looking for a deal. There's a lot of lingering trauma from that and a lot of distrusts. And we wanted to kind of fight against that. It was really important for us to show salons that we value their services. Mm -hmm. So we do a stepped commission model where we take a larger commission on a customer's very first booking and then drop that down significantly lower when someone repeat books on the platform. So we consider it a marketing fee. Our salon and stylist partners actually very much understand and think that what we're charging is fair. And, you know, we do a lot to try to get people in their chairs. So (laughs) it all works out. Awesome. That's great customer development by you going out and actually looking and chatting with the salon owners and stylists to understand what their pain points are. Mm -hmm. And I applause to you and your co-founder and your company overall for caring about your customer and your client. So what has been the biggest personal challenge that you have needed to overcome in order to be who you are today? That's a hard one. I'd say, not to turn it on you, have you done therapy at all? (laughs) So I think there were just some things that happened along the way in my life that I let go undealt with Mm -hmm. and avoided for a long time until they really started affecting me in major ways. And so I think starting therapy to kind of just get over some of that trauma and find ways to overcome huge barriers and blocks that I had set up in my life to avoid dealing with those problems probably has like, I can't even describe how much it's like changed my life, honestly, and just allowed me to kind of be more present, live in the present and like confidently as me, as like fully accepting myself, conquer whatever crosses my path. Good for you, Jen. Thanks. <laughs> Good for you. Who has been your biggest champion on the path to becoming who you are today? I have some really good good friends, Mm -hmm. especially, and part of the reason I don't regret going to law school, um, some of the friends that I met in law school Mm -hmm. um, have very much rooted me on. I have one friend in particular that being with her is like looking in a mirror of like the best parts of myself, if that makes sense. Like she just sees the good in me and I think really brings it out in me Mm -hmm. in ways that like I think have like really improved me as a person. (laughs) Like it's almost like a nurturing, like mothering quality that she has unintentionally Mm -hmm. and not in a weird way. I don't know if this sounds (laughs) weird as as I'm describing it, but just having encouragement from friends like her has really helped me like discover and be proud of me. Got you. And what does your peer group look like? Do you have people who are primarily entrepreneurs? Is it a mixed bag of entrepreneurs, artists, and people who are working corporate? Or It's a pretty mixed bag. So I'd say the majority certainly started out in the corporate world. So the law school types, the business school types. And as we've gotten older and people have started to kind of find themselves and realize like, Punching the clock for the man ain't it. <laughs> right, right. I have more entrepreneur friends and more friends who are trying to get into being an agent or moving to L.A. to pursue the entertainment industry or other things. And we've been very conscious about building a network of other founders. In particular, we have a network of Black female founders that we meet with quarterly for dinner just to kind of talk about what we're going through, really celebrate the wins, talk through what isn't going so well, and figure out ways that we can support each other. And that's been a huge way for us to just kind of keep our heads down and really stick with it. Love it. If you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? Is there a career or hobby or something like that that you've always wanted to pursue? Interestingly, I think being an entrepreneur has made me think of, look at other opportunities where like I see there needs to be a business here, like someone needs to solve this. So some of the things that I've thought of. (laughs) So for years, I was saying that Harlem needs a Chipotle. Uh-huh. And finally, someone opened a franchise on 125th Street. So uh-huh. congrats to that person. <laughs> Harlem also needs better workout studios and a Chick-fil-A. So if anyone wants to get on those while I'm still too busy with this one, <laughs> feel free. <laughs> but I think that's super important. And I think I probably at this point would be dedicating more time to like going into swing districts and places that really matter and trying to motivate people to like get to the polls and do something about this mess that we're in. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I think that I'd be spending a lot of time doing that. Okay. How do you feel accelerator culture has helped you in your journey as an entrepreneur, if at all? 
Well, I guess as a preliminary note, not all accelerators are created equal. <laughs> and which which have you been a part of? So we have been a part of two accelerators thus far. The incredible one that we did was the Sephora Accelerate program. Mm -hmm. They focus on women entrepreneurs in the beauty space, half people who are doing products, half people who have like a tech situation going on. So we participated in that last year. That was incredibly helpful in just bringing together like super experienced industry experts, ripping apart what we had, suggesting how to make it better in a rapid fired way. So it was only one week in person and then, you know, weekly remote webinars. But that was extremely helpful and didn't require so much time that it prevented you from working on your business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> didn't take equity. The other one that we did was called The Refinery. Again, it was just like a weekly remote thing, but it really very much helped us get our pitch deck together and kind of prepare to speak to investors. Mm -hmm. There are some that have a reputation for being super helpful. So your tech stars, your YC, mm -hmm. ERA, things like that. We've turned down accelerators that we didn't think would be helpful enough to justify the amount of equity in our business that they wanted to take. Mm. And don't regret it, would take the money now. But <laughs> would you take the money in exchange for the amount of equity? Exactly. No. So that's... Right. Uh, so it was a great decision? Yes, I think it was. How did you decide which decision to make? Uh, we really looked at what our priorities were for our business and what the accelerator focused on mm -hmm. and concluded that it wouldn't help us in like, the most major things that we needed to be working on. Okay. So we said no. You've won a couple of pitch competitions. What has been your experience pitching and are you all looking to raise funding? Have you raised funding? What's going on in that arena for Swivel? So we've done a bunch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It is both exhilarating and terrifying, <laughs> but I think the two that stand out the most are the Harvard, I want to say the name correctly, Harvard Business School Alumni Association of Northern California, which we won last spring. It's just an exciting way to kind of share what you're doing, answer rapid fire questions from investors, and kind of just feed on the energy in the room to tell your story. The other platform that was super excited was super exciting, excuse me, was the Blavity Afrotech conference last year, which we pitched at and made it to the finals, didn't quite get the W, but just kind of having that energy in the room and uh, feeling that the crowd loved it yeah. <laughs> was exciting. But I do think, you know, it's a great way to kind of validate what you're doing, hear what investors are thinking and share what you're doing with the world. And if you win them, it's a great way to get money for your business that's not dilutive. So it doesn't take equity from you. What's the one thing that if someone could come into your company today, they could help you with? So we have seen some great growth, as we discussed earlier. But so one thing that we found out doing this is that there are all of these like random experts that the insiders know about who can just come into a company and completely change things. So one category of these like secret startup ninjas is growth hackers and, and growth marketing experts. Mm -hmm. um, so I think for us, like we would love someone who could come in and just help us figure out all the search terms and the best way to do Facebook ads and all of those things so that we could really spread our product and, and get the word out there that we're there to more people than know about it now. So that I think would definitely be number one. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that we've done a good job having like a clear voice as a brand and really like showing what we stand for. But we have this fantasy also of kind of getting a branding expert in and just kind of really establishing ourselves as a brand more so than we have thus far. Okay. Love it. So, Jen, my next question to you is, can you swim? Yes. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, I'm asking because we're about to jump into the dolphin tank. Ah, uh, ha, ha, ha. I see, that. <laughs> see what you did there. <laughs> okay, so are you ready for this? This is a rapid-fire question. Okay, I'm ready. You sure? Yes. There's no life jacket. Okay. What are your goal-setting methods, and how do you measure and make sure that you're growing each year? Ooh, that's a real question. I was thinking, like, <laughs> what's your favorite color? <laughs> okay, so, you know, I think we think about, or sorry, personal goals or business goals? Okay, so business-wise, I think that we think, okay, here are the things that we need to do to show that we're growing, to show that our business is investable, to show that it's even worth our time to do. So we kind of sit down each month, come up with what we need to hit to grow X percent from the previous month, figure out the ways we're going to try to do it, and like go after it. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, when we have our meeting the following month, we look at what we've done, evaluate, adjust accordingly, and so on. Personal life-wise... 
you know, I have to confess, I think this is something that happens to a lot of founders is that your goals for yourself as a person kind of take a backseat to, <laughs> you know, what you're doing with your business. You kind of fully sacrifice yourself to the business. So now I'm being more aware of like wellness and making some time for myself at least mm-hmm. each day. So now my goals are when I used to like go on my diets, it was like, I have to lose 10 pounds in July or whatever it may be. But mm-hmm. now it's I want to like eat healthy for lunch and dinner every weekday or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know. So just setting kind of goals like that. And then I have a little calendar that I track things with, make sure I've gone done 30 minutes of exercise five times a week or whatever. And just kind of looking back on the calendar and seeing the days X stuff that I did what I said I was going to do yeah. and not wanting to break that streak is helpful. Now, at your recommendation, I do want to know now, what is your favorite color? Red. Why? It's just so strong, bold, powerful. You can't ignore red. <laughs> this is true. What was holding you back from creating your best life? Let's see, student loan debt, (laughs) 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 needing to be at my uh, corporate law job to pay that down a little bit, I'd Mm -hmm. say. And then maybe a little bit of fear, not feeling ready. And the secret is you're never really ready. You just have to do it. (laughs) Very true. Very true. Top tech that you're using to make your business run smoothly. Have you ever heard of Zapier? Yeah. Zapier is the bomb.com. <laughs> it's so great. So for anyone who doesn't know what it is, it basically automates processes for you. Mm-hmm. So if an email comes in, for instance, you can code it to like automatically go to a spreadsheet or automatically populate in your CRM so that you just don't have to spend the time like filling out every single field in your spreadsheet. Or so for us, for instance, like when a booking comes in, mm-hmm. it automatically goes to the spreadsheet. When the booking is confirmed, like the confirmation email automatically goes out. And that's all because of Zapier. And it saves us on each one five, 10 minutes exactly. per booking. And that adds up like significantly over the course of thousands of bookings. So, <laughs> you know, we've saved, I'd say Zapier, number one, just mm-hmm. huge, huge time savings. There's a program called Appsy that lets you kind of see how people are using your app. And that's helped us understand, like literally you watch a video of Mm -hmm. people like searching on your app, going in and reading profiles. So it helps us see what people are actually reading, what's most important to them, where things are going wrong Mm. um, and make changes accordingly. So that's a really cool one. Instagram helps us like see what's going on, see who's doing great hair, all of that good stuff. Mm So I'd say those are probably the top ones. Love it. Favorite quote or model that you live by? So the first one that comes to mind is, this might be not the exact words, but the gist is essentially, people won't remember what you said, but they remember how you make them feel. Mm-hmm. Bye, Angelou. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I just think it's really important. It's true. Like when you think back on the people in your life, you know who's made you feel great. And you know who makes you feel terrible. So I just try to live in a way that I'm leaving positive residue on people instead of <laughs> icky. <laughs> <laughs> positive residue. <Hilarious>. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite or most impactful book that you've read? So, okay, this is not that deep, but I think it's an important message. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone read The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. It came out a couple of years ago. But the premise of it essentially is that For a year, she said yes to every single opportunity that came her way. And it changed her life in like super significant ways. It opened the door to so many more opportunities. So I think it helped me get into a mindset where I said yes to things, even if they were terrifying, even if I didn't feel ready. And it turns out that when you've committed to something, you Mm -hmm. rise to the occasion. So I think that that has been an impactful book for sure. Love it. Three jewels that you would tell someone looking to create the best life. Get over the stuff that's preventing you from accepting yourself and being comfortable and being you. (laughs) Do the things that you want to do, even if they're scary, and get out of your own way. What's next for you in Swivel? So definitely sticking with this for a while. (laughs) Definitely seeing it through. So the thing that we are most excited about now, I'd say, is really just broadening our reach and providing meaningful access to the best salons and stylists throughout the country. So, you know, whereas I think now we're super, we're helpful to women in New York where we have the most options, we want to be able to, you know, no matter where you are, if you're traveling and you get caught in the rain, whatever it may be, you can pick up the app and and find someone where you're, where you are. So just really becoming that go-to destination for women, no matter how they want their hair done, no matter when, no matter where. <laughs> so that is what we're building towards. Love it. 
How can someone become a salon or stylist partner? Visit us at www.swivelbeauty.com and fill out our form. There's a link to it in the top right corner. <laughs> it says stylist sign up here. <laughs> okay, awesome. And how, what's the best way to keep in contact with you? You can email us, info at swivelbeauty.com. Mm-hmm. We're pretty good at responding to that quickly. Or follow us on Instagram at swivelbeauty. Shoot us a DM. Yeah, those are pretty much the the two biggest ways. Okay. And so now, Jen, we've reached a point in the interview. I call it the turnaround. And what that means is that you become the interviewer. I am the interviewee. And you have the opportunity to ask me questions. So, Oh, I wish I had known this was going to happen. I could have thought of some really good stuff. Uh Uh-oh. So I only have one request. Okay. Please be gentle. (laughs) I'll do my best. Okay. Why did you decide to create this podcast? Uh, So the podcast actually started off as a video series initially when I was in Japan. And I was speaking at the International Foster Care Conference. And I thought that it was important for people to, especially from communities like that I come from, and a lot of times Americans also don't leave their neighborhoods and don't leave their cities or, or states, and they don't go out and see the world. And so I wanted to show people that it was possible to be able to do so and go somewhere where you don't speak the language and still have an amazing time and meet amazing people. And so I thought that also it was important to mix in a little bit of motivation. And so I just went and videotaped all of the different aspects, amazing aspects of the Japanese culture and put it together and then uploaded onto YouTube. And then I did that in a few different places. I did that in Japan, Bahamas, Dominican Republic, California. And then I had the opportunity to be a guest here on the station at WACR and I was going to start a podcast. And so I called up to the station and said, do you have uh, any room for another show? And the manager, luckily, she had seen my interview. I heard it. And she said, for you, I would make space. Cool. And so the Create Your Life series was rebooted from there. And we've been going hard for over two and a half years now. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. If you could have dinner with any person dead or alive, who would it be? That's tough. <laughs> that is a tough one. Probably Tupac Shakur. Yeah? yeah? What would you ask him? I don't know. I think I would ask him about a lot of the things that he read. He's very, very intelligent. I wasn't as impressed with him when he became more of a gangster rapper. Mm -hmm. But the wealth of knowledge and the amount of knowledge that he had at such a young age, I thought was very powerful. And he's very passionate. I'm definitely interested in that. And his mother being a Black Panther, I remember reading something where when he got in trouble, she would make him read Mm. particular things versus whooping them and things like that. So I just thought that that was very tactful. Yeah. So, I don't know. He's like one of the people I would definitely have dinner with. That's a good one. What's next for you? You had mentioned potentially like moving out of the country. Is that happening? Yeah, December 1st. Ah, that's my birthday. Oh, for real? Yeah, so I guess you'll miss the party. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm happy to know that I was invited. That matters to me a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Dang. So, I need to leave December 2nd now. Where's the party going to be at? Haven't decided yet. It's a little far in advance. (laughs) Just a tad. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know. All right. Well, we'll we'll have to do a pre-B day. Sure. That work for you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jen, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Absolute pleasure. And we'll definitely have you back on at some point. Yay. (laughs) Okay. Well, Create Your Life family. I want to thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and rate and review us. This helps us build the community, and building the community is what we are all about right now so that we can deliver as much value as possible to you. So until next time, create your life and feed your ambition. This episode was brought to you by PodcastLaundry.com. I love Podcast Laundry. It provides a real solution to free up my time. And time is the only resource that we cannot get back. Podcast Laundry was created with love to help other fellow busy podcasters free up time so that they could do more of what they love, whether that's traveling, time with friends and family, or working on other ventures. If you want to free up your time, then have Podcast Laundry do the dirty work of note-taking, graphic creation, editing, show tagging, and uploading for you. Go to PodcastLaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. And remember to use code CYLS. That's PodcastLaundry.com or call 347-871-8273.